Let's just pray. Father, we love you, we worship you, and we thank you for this day, this time together. We thank you, Father, that you are here with us, that your presence is here. Father, your resurrection power, as Corey prayed earlier, Father, it resides not just in this place, but in our lives. And we thank you for it. I thank you that your word today, Father, is truth. I thank you that we have ears to hear and eyes to see, and our heart is good ground. And that as your word, Father, goes into that good ground, it brings up a harvest in our lives. In Jesus' name. If you'd agree for that, you'd say, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Uh, God's good. I wanted my wonderful wife to have an opportunity to, to share tonight and uh that usually means i don't have anything to say so i just gotta call her and say well what, what, what do you got and uh are you gonna sit on that that's like that's like mine <laughs> it's gonna make me really nervous no it's all right i'll be okay <laughs> you i'll sit on no it's okay you can't <laughs> you sit on my lap so tonight, we're, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about, about being desperate, and we've talked last week a little bit about having no doubt in our lives, along with what, kind of what Corey said tonight, confidence, that, that in our life, we, we, we're not supposed to walk in doubt, but we're supposed to walk in confidence in who God is, and that when doubt exists in our lives, that leaves a place uh, uh, of, of sin, actually, because it, it, it's not faith. Anything that is not of faith is sin. And so we, we have to really make sure that we are focused on him. You know, uh, Hebrews 12 isn't just a, a, it's not just a scripture that he put in there for kicks, but it, you know, it says that uh, focus on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, that there's no way to get through this life without faith. Tonight, we want to share a, a message and, and the, the title of the message is don't be a zombie. I know that doesn't make a lot of sense probably uh, as we go. But uh, it'll that, make sense later. You'll get that it. was her. That was yeah, her title. <laughs> that wasn't me. Uh, I said death <laughs> to life. Uh, she said, "Don't be a zombie." So that's that's what it becomes. So if you hate it, I did it. Well, that's, yeah. If you hate any of this, it was her. If you like it, it was <laughs> if me. Like it, if you not. don't like it, it was her. If it's right, it was me. If it's wrong, it was her. Right. But of course, that's the way that it works. Exactly. That's the way it's supposed to go. I take it. <laughs> Isn't that right? I mean, that's the sooner you get that, the better it'll be. I already got it. I don't know. What uh, you know, it right him. now, zombies, <laughs> zombies are big, they're big things. If you, if you watch movies, if you watch TV, if According your kids play video games and, and, and do all that kind of stuff, zombies are uh, they're in right now, whatever that means. <laughs> they're, they're, they, they seem to be the thing that, 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 that people are going to and, and talking about, and video games are being made to shoot them and do things. Zombies are nothing more, really, than, than the walking dead. But believers, many times, are just like that. We're all the walking dead before we come to christ that that's who we are i mean we, we come to him as a human being alive in our body but dead in our spirit right. and we come to him as really spiritually you could say a, a, a zombie and then when we make that transition into his life it changes who we are but then after that there are there are opportunities in our life where God drops dreams and hopes and sometimes we get discouraged and all these different things that happen in our life. And what it does is it, be, it, begins, to, it begins to change who we are on the inside. That somehow we went from being that believer who had these, these, these fresh eyes and this soft heart and this openness to God and being, being aware of who He is and that he was, He's right beside me all the time and that He's changing my life and that, man, things are great. To somewhere in the life, you know, you kind of get beat down, beat around, turned around, things didn't go the way you thought, and, and eventually we become, as, as believers too, not just like the unbelievers, but sometimes as believers, we kind of become like zombies, just kind of going through the day and going through the motion. 
You lose your joy, you lose your smile, you lose that sparkle in your eye. Uh, I'm not saying you're like, you know, like zombies are with your rags all over and arms falling off and all that kind of (laughs) stuff. But we can't afford in this life to have any part of who we are or any part of who God created us to be, to be dead in our life. No part of who God is, is death. He is life. He is love. Now, here's the thing. Death and life are very commingled through our relationship with Christ. You have to die to self for you to have his life. They're they're, they're very intermingled. Jesus had to die himself so that we could have life. So I'm not, you, you exchange them. They don't exist. They shouldn't exist in the same place. And God's the one who gives life. I mean, that's that's what he does. You know, you, you, you could just interject that. I mean, everything that he does brings life. Everything that he does gives life. And, you know, it started with Adam. And, and he formed Adam in his own image. But when he gave him life, when he breathed life into him, he began to be a creature and, and, and a human being. But it wasn't until that point, till he breathed life into him, till he gave him life, that he existed. Before then, he was just, you know, an, an image, uh, uh, something made out of clay. And, you know, he is the creator of all life. That, that's just what he does. He creates life. It said um, in... In my Bible reading plan today, it talked about manna. It said, you know, you were hungry in the desert, and I gave you manna. And nobody's even ever heard of manna before, but I created that for you. It, it's, it, the idea is what you need, he can create and provide for you. The thing that you need, he can create, and, 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 and that will bring life. You know, when they were hungry in the desert, that's what gave them life was the manna. And God created that from nothing Mm -hmm. so that it would provide for them. And so as we're going through this tonight, those things that are standing in your way, you know, God has a creative Hmm. way. He can create anything to bring life to that situation. Hmm. So, um, you know, you don't want to be a zombie. You don't want to just go through the motions. It says in... um, in Deuteronomy 30, it says, I set before you today life and death. And he actually says, you know, like he has to say this to us, choose life. You know, could you please? I, you, you've got a choice, life and death. You get to choose. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to twist your arm, but please choose life. And so, you know, he, it's not like he asks us to do stuff that we can't do. He gives us things in front of us that, that in us may be impossible, but with his life-giving ability, everything's possible. So we can't get caught up in what he, what's in front of us as being dead or something in us as being dead because God can create life in anything. Mm-hmm. There's nothing so desolate, yeah. nothing so lifeless, nothing so void that life can't come of it. That's good. Yeah, you know, uh, I think sometimes in our life... Uh, when God speaks to us or when he shows us something or when we, 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 we know he promised us something and we see something in the word that, that sometimes if it doesn't happen yesterday, we get, we get frustrated. 
and that, that frustration in, in, in that, you know, I, am I doing enough? Am I not doing enough? Is, is God really here? Is God really in this? Is, is this what God said? Is, is his word really true for me? Did I screw it all up because I messed up yesterday or last year? And there's frustration that builds. God's not going to ask you to do anything that he can't take you through, but he's going to ask you to do things that you can't go through on your own. Don't get frustrated to the point where whatever that thing is begins to die on the inside of you. Frustration will cause that to happen in your life. I like the fact that when Moses was in the desert with the children of Israel, a couple different times, actually twice, he brought, he brought life. It says he brought water from a rock. But in that particular instance, the children of God, they were upset. They were freaking out. They were telling Moses, listen, we are thirsty. There's no water. We're going to sit out here in the desert and die unless we get life. And so Moses went to God with Aaron, and he told him, speak to the rock and then smack the rock, or smack the rock first and speak to the rock second. And he got one of those wrong. But in both of those instances, God created, just like Elizabeth said, he created a way for something that was absolutely impossible to bring life to the people who needed it. Water from a rock. Uh, uh, Water represents life. The rock represents nothingness, death. You know people who are like that. They're like stone-faced. Now, don't go hit them with a stick and command life to come out of them, but pray for them, right? I mean, I can just see that. You know what? God told me to, to tell you something. And just right upside the head to your brother-in-law or whoever, and you're probably not going to get life to come out of that. But it is that idea that says he, he can create an instance He can create a moment, he can create a substance, he can create what you need so that you can live. Think about it, it says that he makes, in Isaiah, he makes a road in the wilderness and a river in your desert. But if if you don't open up your heart to, see it's a faith thing, if you don't open up your heart to that, if you don't say, God, whatever you have for me, however you have it, I am here for you, I am not going to give up on you, I am going to be here pulling on the edge and the hem of your garment each day. I love you. I can't go on another moment without you. I am pouring myself into who you are. I'm telling you, life's going to be flowing from all the different directions. You're not going to have to worry about being a zombie in this life. You're not going to have to worry about pieces and parts of you dying along the way. There will be so much goodness and so much life and so much mercy, grace, and joy being poured out into who you are. It will absolutely overtake you. The children of Israel weren't like that. They just kept going back and forth. They were, they were like that when the water was flowing. But when the water wasn't flowing, they weren't so much like that. Don't allow those moments where you don't see it to frustrate you to a point where you want to give up. Every time it didn't happen the way they wanted it, they got frustrated, they got mad, and they said, we would be better off dead in the desert or back as slaves. See, part of them dying because we, haven't, we don't have what we need. God has what you need, just like God had what they needed. That's what he does. He takes those things that are dead, and he brings them to life. How he does it depends on the person, place, and thing. Now, the things in your life that are life killers, you know, this is how you become a zombie. I don't know how you become a zombie in real life. I wish I had asked my son. He could have written me a dissertation on it, I'm sure, as many zombie movies as he's seen. But, uh, you know, they... Things that will kill the life in you are our pride. And, you know, you, you contain life. God's given you life and it's in you. And you have the ability to, to let it flourish or you have the ability to squelch it. 
and cause it to to die and and one of the things that will cause it like i said was is pride james 4 6 it says he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble or help to the humble and and in that instance resisting means that it's setting yourself at odds so it says you're setting yourself at odds with god you're reserve it says that you're exerting a force in opposition so in this instance, you have no way to receive life if you're working against the life giver. Because you've said, thanks, but no thanks. And in that instance, in that place, you've hardened your heart. And when you harden your heart, that puts you in a place where you can't receive any life from God or anyone else. Because you've kind of turned a deaf ear, so to speak, to that. And then it says when you do that and when you exalt yourself or you put something else in this world, anytime you take anything else that surrounds you, any situation, any circumstance, anything, if it has more attention than what the Word of God says, then your heart is hard in that instance because you've turned off the things of God and you've got your eyes on the things of the world. That's a that's a little uh, easier definition to see where your heart can be hard in certain situations and not in other situations because there are times when situations come across your path or things come across your path or or times when you've been disappointed that that you begin to turn off what the word says and focus your attention on what the situation says. And so in those places, you've become hard-hearted and you set yourself at odds against God. That's a life killer. Another one is... Um, you going to let me do that? No, go ahead. No, turn. I mean, you were going right along. I was, that, go that ahead. a big J next to it. I know, you, it's your you turn. You can go ahead and do that if you I want. Forgot. I mean, you were on a roll. I forgot. <clears throat> I'm just it's sitting, unforgiveness. I'm just and, sitting back, and man. And here's I, I'm just, John. I, I'm just... Uh, hey, I'm... <laughs> It's good stuff. I'm just listening to you. I just wanted to be a part somehow. So however you want me to be in here, fill me in. I, I, I'll, I'll do whatever. Go ahead. You go. Whatever you got. You sure? I got it. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm just checking. Unforgiveness. <laughs> Unforgiveness is, is, a real, is a real killer in the life of a believer. Um, and there's a couple reasons. Here and, and one of them is maybe a little deeper than, than what, we, what we have noticed or what we've talked about or thought about before. First of all, people say that unforgiveness is like you drinking poison hoping the other person's going to what? Die. Uh, they have done something to hurt you or to harm you, and you're holding that against them, thinking that now they owe you something so that you can be all right. And that unforgiveness begins to erode the inside of who you are. It begins to kill off pieces and parts of you. And doctors will say, and you've read studies probably before or heard of them, that people have died from really unforgiveness in their life. That it has gotten to the point where it's, it's made their body toxic. That it's it, it shut pieces and parts of them down. Unforgiveness is, is no place to be for the believer because the only way that we can get to life is through him forgiving us, right? It says we have to come to him, and he forgives us of our sins. It says in 1 John that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins as we come before him 
and as we repent. Now, it also says in Mark eleven twenty five, basically, that to the same measure that you forgive, he's going to forgive you. So is it possible then for us to walk in unforgiveness and be living the life that he has promised us to live? We're at at odds with his word. That resist that she talked about just a minute ago where it says that that, 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 the humble are received and grace comes for the humble, but the proud are resisted. That that resist is an opposition. It, it, It says that God resists the proud. It's like force against who you are, like shutting it off and closing his arms and just saying, man, I want to love you and I want to care for you and I want to pour out life to you, but you are you are literally making me not. So you're actually being, it, it's, a, it's, an oppose, it's an oppose with force. It's a saying, I, I can't, I can't do it because you are in pride. I can't, I can't accept that. I can't forgive you because you won't forgive this person. Now that's, that's harsh. That's somewhat hard. And I think in the church sometimes we like to say, well, you know what? That unforgiveness isn't so bad. I know God will take care of me and forgive me. But if you read the word and you really take the word at, it, at its worth and what it says, it says that's not the case. And really what we're doing is fooling ourselves and the enemy is taking us down a path and to a point where eventually we come to the realization that we're dying, that something is not right and that has to be dealt with. Now, the good part of that is that Jesus came to bring absolute life to you and to me and as we do say, you know what? I, I, Father, I ask your forgiveness. I have been holding this thing against this person. I release them. I let that thing go. I don't just say that and then hold it. I really, truly let it go and give it to God. I'm telling you, he can bring those things back to life like that. There's resurrection power in who he is. But you can't be opposed. You can't be standing against him in, in pride or in unforgiveness. It says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life in John chapter 14. The way, the truth, and the life. That there's, and he also says there's no other way to the Father except how? Through him. Right. Nicodemus was really confused, and he didn't understand this idea that Jesus was talking about in the New Testament. All through the Old Covenant, they see that, that, that God is bringing life. I mean, it's written in those first five books that he breathed life into Adam. And so that, that, that idea and that concept that God is a life giver is not new to Nicodemus. What is new to Nicodemus is that thing that says you have to be born again. That there has to become a place in your life where there's a second birth. That's the part where Nicodemus said, I I don't get this. I understand the first one. I understand even that God gave it to me. I understand God gave me life. It's like it says in Jeremiah that he knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Uh, God knows he he brought you into this earth. It's that second part of, of what he said that freaked him out. Now, hold on a minute. Go back. What are you talking about being born again? There's no way for me to go back to my mama and say, okay, honey, this is going to be bad for both of us. <laughs> Neither one of us are going to like this. Uh, he knew that wasn't going to work. And so Jesus then began to, began to explain to him the idea that God loved him so much that he sent him. And that was the beginning of that thought and that concept that says, I am going to die for you so that you might have life. 
What is that second birth? What is that second life that we receive? It's just like what I talked about in the very beginning. The world has life in the physical, but they don't have life spiritually. And he says, not only do you have to be born of water, but you have to also be born of the Spirit in John 3, right in the beginning when he's talking to Nicodemus in 1 through 5. You have to be born both of water and spirit, that spiritual life-giving force that comes because of the blood of Christ. It washes away unforgiveness when you ask for forgiveness. It washes away pride when you walk in humility. It takes care of bitterness in your life when you open yourself up to him and allow his cleansing power to work on the inside of you. These things, pride and bitterness and unforgiveness, they will absolutely shut down the love and the life that Christ gave for you and for me. Shuts it down in your life. And you can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. Sometimes you're standing there in church and you're just saying, God, what is going on with me? Why is this not working? What is happening? And then he speaks something to you and you just break. You're dying inside. You're not telling anybody. You're trying to pretend. You got a big smile on your face, but on the inside, man, you're dying. And you're standing there saying, God, I can't keep doing this. I don't know what's wrong. And then he speaks something to you. Is it, maybe it's pride or unforgiveness or disappointment or discouragement or whatever the next thing is that she's going to, you know, I mean, it's, it's always these things as she goes, as, as he goes, and they, 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 all of a sudden it begins, when you accept it and you receive it, it breaks in your life and that dead thing becomes live again. Right. Like, bam, bam. It's not like he has to put you on a thing, go beep, 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 and do like spiritual CPR. It's like the thing that goes, boom, when they shock you with those things, wham, oh, I'm up, I'm awake. Uh, <laughs> It's that kind of like change that quick. Now, that's laying on of hands. That's talking to people. That's sitting in your prayer closet. That's being in worship. That's, it's opening yourself up to God in a way that says, I'm not going to hold anything back. So when we come to God with pride, we're holding something back. Right. When we come to God with unforgiveness, we're holding something back. Maybe not against him, but against somebody else. And really what we're doing then in those places is keeping us away from, but we're asking him for his power. If you remember years and years ago, and someday I'll have to redo this message, I, I was up here and I had a raincoat on, I had galoshes, I had a mask, I had a hat, I had an umbrella, I had a boat, I was standing in a boat. They all had things, unforgiveness, bitterness, but they all had names on them. And we were standing behind a dike of pride and unforgiveness, asking God for the rain. Soak me in the rain, yet I'm standing in all of these things that are anti-rain. We're asking God for life, yet in who we are, we're, we're dabbling in death. And you can't dabble in death and have life. That's that all of a sudden instant transformation that changes that thing from death into life. Boom. Right. That's the power of God. Uh, and usually pride and unforgiveness are, are easy to see. Sometimes some of the things that, that trap our heart are, are disappointment and discouragement. Mm-hmm. And disappointment, um, this can be like when you know, you're just disappointed in the situation and there's nobody to blame and you're just angry at something and, and you... A lot of times we cast our blame over on God. Why did you let this happen? Or discouragement. Or looking at our situation like, what is happening to me is unfair. Mm. I don't deserve this. Why is everything bad happening to me? 
or why can't my life be like fill in the blank? And those are the ones that, that can trap our heart in, in a way that we don't even know or acknowledge. And so, but those are places of unforgiveness as well. And, and those are the things that cause in us a bitter root that can um, keep us from hearing from God. And it affects every area of our life. When we take a bitter root from something, anything, any of those things, and it, and it is allowed to grow, then that filters the rest of our life. Mm-hmm. Everything that happens in our life gets filtered through that crazy, whacked out, like, it's just not right. And, and everything that you hear from someone else has a, a, a tent of dig, you know, and, and you overreact to things, and you find yourself acting out in ways that's like, where did that come from? That's so weird. <laughs> I didn't even mean to do that. You know, or that had nothing to do with it. I mean, so you get caught up in that, and that bitter root will cause your whole life to be contaminated. It says in Proverbs thirteen twelve, it says, an unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick, but a su- sudden good break can turn life around. It says hope deferred or lost makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it's a tree of life. And, you know, God gives you the desires, and God gives you the things in your heart. And when they don't, like John said earlier, when they don't happen automatically, sometimes we get disappointed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we get discouraged, and that allows those things to die on the inside of us that God planted there to bring life to our life. Mm-hmm. Or we get afraid. How can I do that? There's no way that I can, there's no way that I can do that. Do you know who I am? Do they know who I am? There's nothing in me that, that, that can fulfill that thing that you put in my heart to do because I'm not able. And so in those places, then we begin to get disappointed in ourselves and we get discouraged in the calling in our life because we don't see how it could happen. And, and those things begin to die. And, but good news if we let God, he will come and bring life to those places. And he oftentimes does it through divine encounters. Yeah. And, and we, you know, you think about discouragement, disappointment, and loss of hope. Don't lose hope. That, that's really important. A loss of hope in the believer's life is real trouble because that's where your faith comes from. It says faith is the substance of things hoped hope. for. And the evidence of things not seen. So when you begin to get discouraged and disappointed, as she was talking about, there's a loss of hope that comes that says, I don't know if I, why, why am I even doing this? There's no hope for me. Maybe you've talked to people and you've heard that. Maybe you're here tonight and that's what you've been mulling around in your head. Man, there's just no hope. It's just always going to be like this. Ah, don't get your hope. Don't get your hopes up. You got to get your, you got to get your hopes up because in an instant, like I said earlier, in one divine encounter, it's not an encounter with man. It's not an encounter with the person leading your Bible study or your small group or whatever. It's an encounter with God, maybe working and walking and talking through somebody, but it's a divine encounter with God that changes those places in your life from death to life. Those places in your, in, in who you are, that stuff that, that you just can't get rid of. You open yourself up to him And that quickly, man, he takes those things and changes them. In Mark, in chapter 3, in the first five verses, all the way through the New Testament, Jesus healed the blind people, the deaf people, the mute people, the demon-possessed people, and it was always these things of, of instantaneous, this guy went from being blind to sight. 
death to life that quick. When, when you go back and you look at the people who were, who were demon-possessed, he just, he just did what? He spoke to the, de- to the demon, and get out. And they left, and it says those people were like, whoa, I'm back. And they run into town and tell everybody, I'm back. And they're like, you're the freaky one. He goes, no, I'm good now. And they're all like, what do you mean? You got to come see this guy. Put some clothes on. Oh, yeah, you're right. How come the demon-possessed dudes are always naked? They're, they don't they never have any clothes on. They're always naked in the tomb doing their thing. But... Well, I don't, that didn't sound good. That's all right. Whatever. Anyway. In this part, in Mark, in chapter 1, it's a guy with a withered hand. Because I think sometimes we assume that we have to be, like, dead. Now, unforgiveness in your life will begin to kill parts and pieces of who you are, and eventually it will overtake you. But the blind guy wasn't completely dead. There was just death in his eyes. The deaf guy wasn't completely dead, but but his hearing, the the, the parts and pieces of who he is as a human being in, in his hearing, those were dead. The withered hand, this guy had a withered hand. His hand was all withered up. It, it, that, that was, it didn't work. It was dead. But when Jesus came on the scene to the blind guy, life came to his eyes. When Jesus came to the deaf guy, life came to his ears. When Jesus came to this guy with the withered hand, he just said, stretch out your hand. And it became whole. Death to life. Very quickly, a divine encounter with God will absolutely turn your world upside down. It'll change, it'll change who you are in an instant. And you can actually be alive, but dead on the inside. Um, you know, Sarah was alive, but her womb was dead. And it said in Romans 4, 19, it says do, he did not consider his own dead body or Sarah's dead womb. See, God had to bring life into Sarah before Sarah could bring life to Isaac. There had to be a transformation in her before she could bring a transformation in Isaac or produce Isaac. Because what she possessed, part of her, the part of her that could bring life was dead. So God had to bring life to her first. See, if, if you get caught up in, the, in this ploy that the devil has, it just he comes and whispers, you're like, oh, that's all right. And you get all caught up in it, and you're like, oh, they are so mean to me. And then... You know, you're, then he doesn't have to oppose you because you've already stuck yourself on the sideline. That's a win-win for him. One, you're no worry to him anymore because all it took was a whisper. And then number two, you're not going to help anybody else because you're so busy looking at yourself. That's a win-win. As a double whammy. Whoop, high five. You know, they're out. Next, you know, and, and, it's, and it's like that because if there's something dead in you, then that's what you focus on. Death gets a lot of attention. And dead stuff will get a lot of your attention. It will consume a lot of your energy. It will consume a lot of your uh, mental capacity. It will, assu- it will consume a lot of your emotions. Think about it. When you go through, a, when you are around death or experience death, it, it takes something out of you to be around it. Mm-hmm. And if you have something dead in your life, it's going to take a lot of who you are. 
to maintain that. Mm. And so if you're busy main, maintaining that, then you're not going to see the things around you that need your attention because a lot of your attention is going to the thing on the inside of you that's got you preoccupied. Yeah, pieces and parts of you on the inside physically begin to battle against that thing that's dying, and it takes away energy from the real part of you that's living. Spiritually, it kind of works the same way, that when you get into unforgiveness, whatever those things are, spiritually, it it takes so much energy to be in unforgiveness spiritually that that you you don't have any energy for life. Sometimes you get to the point where you need somebody to literally reach out and grab you and pull you back into the thing (laughs) and say, come on, I'm going to do this with you. You may have done that with somebody. That's part of that discipling process sometimes is is when you catch them and they're on the hook, man, to bring them in and say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to be right here beside you and give you the strength. I'm going to help give you the strength. I'm going to hold up your arms. I'm going to I'm going to be Jesus hands and feet in your life and I'm not going to let you fall. We're going to keep going, and there's going to be energy, and where you can't, I'm going to stand beside you, and I'm going to help you. He does that for us. But there are times in our lives where people do that for us. They're they're instruments of God, of course, but they're the ones who are doing that. That's a person who has life on the inside and understands about giving life out. We said this. I've talked about it for a while. God is not a depleter. He's a multiplier, and that life that's on the inside of you is being multiplied, and it's that idea and that thought that says, I am in this place to pour out life into somebody else. If I begin to allow something on the inside of me to die, that takes away the energy that I have to give life. It begins to suck on and pull on all of that energy and take it away from who I am. There has to be in who you are a dying to self so that he can raise. He says it all through the New Testament. Can you just please die to yourself and pick up your cross and follow me? If you want to find your life, lose it for my sake and you'll have it. But if you try to keep your life, you're going to lose it. But he says if you lose, give away, get rid of, die to self, he'll give you that life. Now what does that do? It causes something on the inside of you to ignite that then allows you to ignite life in others. Now, I know it sounds like we're going right back to the same messages we've been talking about for all these, all these times, but that's the message of the gospel. I mean, that is the message. In John, in chapter 12, Jesus told the disciples that unless a grain of wheat does what? Falls to the ground, gets planted, and dies, there will not be a harvest of, in this case, in one of the versions it says, a harvest of kernels, many kernels. In the New Living Testament, it goes on, though, and it says not just living kernels, but new lives. He, he actually finishes that and says, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it will not produce the harvest of many kernels or new lives. Right. That there has to, that's why I said that death and life are kind of mixed. You, and you can't do this holding on to something. You can't do this dying on the inside too many believers and too many people are trying to do it in their own strength because they they feel like they they just but they're dying on the inside there's something about that opening up to him and letting him take care of that you most of us are like that 
You came to him hurting. You've come to him dying. You've come to him with unforgiveness. You've come to him with pain and disappointment. And you, you, you haven't been able to do anything, but when you gave it to him, something in you changed. What changed? You died. You died to self, and he filled you with life. That thing that was, that was anti-him is gone. What's in its place? All of him. You, 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 you've gone from being a zombie to being alive in Christ. Doesn't it say that when you're going to be alive in him? It says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are alive unto Christ, basically because he died for us and we are saved by grace through faith. That even in our sin, Christ died for us so that we could receive life. There's an exchange that's made. Tonight, I don't know what's going on on the inside of you. I don't know what you face. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what has died in your life. I don't know what's dying in your life. I don't know where you don't have hope. I don't know where you don't, you got discouragement and you got disappointment. I don't know if you're dealing with pride. I don't know if you're dealing with unforgiveness. But if there is a place in your life, if there's a spot, if there's a tinge, if there's a point, if there's a, if there's a node in your life of death, you got, you got to get, you got to just let go. A divine encounter with God. Him just touching you right where you are. He'll take that away. Well, it's been there for so long. I've been struggling with this and dealing with this for years and years and years and years. Ah, that quick, man. It says the guy was blind from birth. The guy was crippled from birth. It said his hand was withered from, they were all, it was, they were long periods of time. The guy at the pool of Bethesda laid there for years and years and years and years, just dying on the spot, just hoping that someone would come along and help him get to the water first so he could be healed. The water stirs, and he lays there, crippled, hurting, watching everybody else beat him to the water watching everybody else get what they've been praying for get what they've been hoping for receive the thing that you believe See, it's that he's laying there and he, he needs it and he's watching all these people get it what do you think that does to who this guy is just crushes him crushes his hope crushes who he is Day by day by day, he dies a little bit more on the inside. He can't make it. Nobody will help him. But then he watches. He knows it's real. He knows it happens. He says, the angels stir the water. And when the angels, when God stirs the water, the first person in gets healed. So he knows who the healer is. I mean, he knows it's not just a special water. I mean, he knows. You may be here and you say, well, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. I know all this, but I just, yes, you can. You can let go. He can touch you. He can change you. He can take away the hurt. He can take away the pain. He can take away all of those things. He can change your dis- discouragement into encouragement in a moment. He can take your disappointment right away from you, and he can push you back out into a new thing in your life right now. Right now, see, Jesus came along to this guy who was laying by the side of the water, and Jesus said, my man, what is going on with you? And he says, I can't get to the water, and I am dying day by day as I watch all these people get healed. And he said, hey, I am the one. I am, Give me your hand. Look at me. Hey, and you're going to get up, and you're going to walk. Let's go get your bed, and let's get out of town right now. 
Let's get you bed. Let's get out of town. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. You're going to live. There's hope. There's hope for you. In a place where you don't think there's hope, I'm telling you tonight, there's hope. There is hope for where you are, Jeremy. There's hope. It's Jesus. It's not this place. It's not these people. It's not this thing. It's Jesus. I don't know what you face. I don't know what you go through, but there is hope. Hope, Becca, for all those things that you believe. Hope. Huh? What else you got? What else you got but hope? Your faith. Your faith. Your faith. Your faith is going to take you all the way. That man, had, that man had to lay there and had to believe that Jesus was who he said and he could do what he was about to do. He had to believe. He had to have faith to be able to get up and to change. It was a combination of that divine encounter with Jesus and his faith, mashing and meeting in the middle, and a miracle happened in that moment. Healing. Death to life. That quick. Amen? Let's stand up and let's pray tonight. I don't know, as I said before, what you face. You just bow your head and close your eyes right here. This is a powerful word. This is, this is something that each one of us in our lives, we, 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 we think we conquer it when we come to Christ. We think we, we, we've got it licked when we say, you know what, Jesus, I ask you into my heart. I know you're the Son of God, and I ask your forgiveness today for my sins, and I thank you, Father, that you changed me. And then as we go from that point, we have exchanged who we were to who he is. And we have, in our spirit, man, we have become alive. But I am telling you, the enemy wants to kill, steal, and to destroy. And sometimes he does it in a swift attack. And sometimes he does it over a period of time where you're laying there by the side of the road thinking, I ain't got no hope. Maybe you've been in this thing for a while. Maybe you've fallen a few times. And you say, you know what, I, I, it's just, I'm just going to fall again. No, you're not. Today is your day. This is your moment for a divine encounter with God to absolutely change your life, take you from death to life. Whatever's anti-God on the inside of you is going to be gone in Jesus' name tonight. We hope this message encouraged you. Victor Christian Center is passionate about sharing the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. Learn more about us at victorylafayette.org. If you don't know Jesus or maybe you've gotten distracted and stopped following Him, I'd like to pray for you right now. The most important decision you'll ever make involves accepting the love of Jesus and His gift of new life. I'd invite you to make this prayer your own and take this opportunity to begin to follow Jesus. God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I ask you to forgive the sin in my life that has kept me from enjoying a relationship with you. Give me a fresh start by changing my life and helping me to follow you from this point forward. I accept your love through Jesus, and I commit to trust your plan for my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, please get in touch with us and let us know. To learn more about Victory or to contact us, visit us online at victorylafayette.org.